As the children are going this morning, let's get our Bibles out. Galatians chapter 5. First service was a little quick. We got out a little bit early. Everybody behaves. I don't see any reason why we can't have extra recess today. You remember in school when the teachers would promise extra recess? So we're in Galatians chapter 5 today. How is everyone out there? Amen. Amen. Did you enjoy worshiping the Lord in this place? Amen. Amen. It's beautiful, beautiful in here with the lighting and all. But let's remember who we worship this morning. Amen. Amen. Paul worshiped the Lord in a Roman dungeon with all kinds of filth and refuse there. And in the midnight hour, he lift up praise to the Lord and the Holy Spirit shook that place, amen. amen. Let's never forget that it's not the setting or the song selection or the competence of the musicians, but it is the one who we worship, amen. amen. We are in Galatians chapter five. We've been looking at the fruits of the spirit and the deeds of the flesh, and I'm praying that uh, the fruits of the spirit are being more evident in our lives. Anyone uh, producing any fruit out there? Amen. You loving one another, being patient, gentle, all of those things. Well, the fruit of the Spirit are works of the Holy Spirit. We can't, we can't purpose, well, I'm going to be more gentle. I'm going to be more loving. No, you know, we can't legislate that in our own lives, but we can partner with the Holy Spirit of what He's working in and through us, amen? And so the fruit of the Spirit is a work of the Spirit, but the deeds of the flesh are something that come naturally to us because we are, all of us have been born with flesh, with the original sin, with the predisposition towards certain behaviors. We have affinities and appetites. We're going to talk about that this morning. But let me read to you Galatians uh, chapter 5, verse 18, and we'll, we'll go and recap all of the deeds of the flesh we looked at, and we'll talk about the last two today. Father, we thank you for the word today, and thank you for everyone here within the sound of my voice Father, I pray that by the Holy Spirit, you would stretch and challenge each of us, that you'd speak truth to our lives, that we would be humble and have ears to hear what you're saying to us. And Father, if we need to repent or make adjustments or broaden our understanding, Lord, I pray that that would all happen in us, that we wouldn't leave here the way we came, but we leave changed by the Spirit of God. We thank you for that in advance. In Jesus' name, and the church said... Galatians 5, starting in verse 18, the Apostle Paul speaking, But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, and witchcraft. Now we unpacked what I called emotions out of control, hostilities, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, Then we looked at pride out of control, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, and murder. And lastly, today we're going to cover the last two, appetites out of control, drunkenness, and carousing. And things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Understand, as Christians, we struggle against sin, but the minute we give ourselves over to sin... The minute we give ourselves over to sexual immorality and, and outbursts of anger and sedition and, and, and envy and all of these things, we get in a pattern that jeopardizes our, the eternal state of our soul. Yes, yes, yes. 
Paul's really clear here. I forewarned you just as I have forewarned you. He's saying, you know this. You've heard this. Let me say it again. When you practice sin, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. What a sobering thought to think some people who sat in church, who said the right words, who knew all the, the words to the song and you know, prayed a prayer here and there would step into eternity not ready to spend it in the presence of God because they had allowed their lives to be controlled by sin and self. Now, the deeds of the flesh, we said, are works of the, the flesh, and they come naturally to us. We're going to look at the two last ones today, drunkenness and carousing. And I want to say something as we're talking about appetites that are out of control. All of us have different appetites, different predispositions, the things that pertain to the flesh. Everyone's weaknesses are different. Can I get an amen? Amen. We can never look at somebody and go, well, they can handle that, so I can handle that. Well, they can do that, so I can do that. The Bible says that we have to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. There's certain things that other brothers and sisters may have the grace to do that I don't have the grace to do. There's certain, Gucci might be able to do certain things and go certain places, and I can't go there, and vice versa. Hopefully, we're not in the same car, Gucci, but you know. The thing is, we're all different. We have different appetites, different, you know, weaknesses and strengths. And so there is this element as we talk about appetites out of control that we have to understand we're all different. And God expects different things from each of us. Now, what tempts me and trips me up might be a total non-issue for you. And the thing that snares you and knocks you down every time could be a complete non-issue for me. And that's why we have to identify our own weaknesses, our own predispositions, our own appetites, if you will, so that we can have victory over them and please the Lord by the way we live. Now, the first appetite out of control that the Lord lists here through the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5 is drunkenness. Say drunkenness. I like it. First service was drunkenness. But we all know about drunkenness, and we all know about that state, and we think about, in Scripture, the prohibitions against drunkenness. We think about Noah, who got off the ark, he planted a vineyard, he made grapes, he made wine, and he got drunk. And then he lay on the ground naked, and his son saw him. One son laughed and uncovered him, the other sons covered him. But drunkenness will always uncover us. It will always shame us. And so this appetite of consuming, uh, you know, alcohol to the point of drunkenness is something that scripture prohibits and it's a deed of the flesh that is an appetite out of control. Now, if we're going to cover this subject correctly and really discuss the issue and get to the heart of it, we need to discuss the issue of Christians drinking alcohol at all in the first place. Now, if you've been around for any length of time, you know that there are some churches, some denominations, some teachers and preachers that will say it is absolutely prohibited for a Christian to drink one sip of alcohol at any time. It's completely, totally a sin, and it is not for the believer. The only problem is the Bible doesn't say that. We've got to be very careful in making the Bible say what we want it to say. See, I understand why somebody would try and do that because they know all the downside and all the folly of, you know, alcohol used and not in moderation but out of control and so they want to just kind of tell people don't do it at all you're not allowed but we can't make the bible say what we want it to say we've got to let it say what it says and at first you're going to hear this message you're going to be like "Ooh, this is a good message (laughs) 
we're going to happy hour tonight. Well, hang on. There's, there's another side of the coin, right? First service looks so disappointed, but let's take a real look at what the Bible says here. Nowhere in Scripture does it categorically forbid believers to drink alcohol. In, in fact, it's opposite in a lot of ways. Luke 7, 34 makes it clear that Jesus himself drank alcohol. Now, I remember when I was a young Christian, I had a, a dear saint, an older woman, tell me the, the wine that Jesus drank was grape juice. Bless her heart. She was bad at Greek because the same Greek word that says be not drunk with wine is the same word used wine that describes Jesus when he used wine. So listen to me. You can get a bellyache on grape juice. You can get the runs on grape juice, but you can't get drunk on grape juice. So that word in, uh, you know, in the language that's translated here from the Greek means an intoxicant, a, 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 a beverage that is alcoholic. And so when the scripture talks about Jesus using wine, it was not grape juice, it was wine. And Jesus himself drank it. In fact, his adversary saw him, you know, taking his liberty, and they used it as an opportunity to attack him and to picture him as someone who is in excess. Listen to what Luke 7.34 says. The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say what? Behold, a gluttonous man and a heavy drinker, a drunkard. That's what the religious crowd accused Jesus of. Not only using his liberty and, and moderation and being in control and never crossing that line into drunkenness, they accused him of being a wine-bibber. He says, what, you're a, a gluttonous man, a heavy drinker, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So Jesus used wine, but he used it in a way that was not excessive and responsible. He drank wine at the Passover meal. When they had the Passover, the Jewish tradition, they, they had the lamb and they had the, the, the foods that were to be eaten at the Passover, and they used wine ceremonially. They used it in the observance of the feast of the Passover. They, Jesus used wine at the Lord's Supper to represent his own blood. Think about that. When he, when he took the cup... It wasn't grape juice, it was wine. And he said, this is the cup of my blood that's shed for the, the new and everlasting covenant. I want you to think about this. All, all, some, some of you are getting uptight. You're all like this already. Wow, Jesus, you know, he, he, he used wine. The disciples used wine. He used wine at the Passover. He was accused by his adversaries of using too much wine. Uh, at the Lord's Supper, it was present. At Jesus' first miracle, remember in Scripture, his first miracle is what? Changing water into Welch's grape juice. All right. It was wine. Listen, if he would have turned it into grape juice, there would have been a riot at the wedding. We wouldn't have been reading a wedding. We'd be reading about a riot in Scripture. Okay, so he turned it in, and when they drank it, they said, this is the good stuff. Uh-oh. So Jesus and his followers absolutely used wine, used it at Passover, used it at the Lord's Supper, allowed it to represent his blood. It was his first miracle. If drinking was even remotely a sin, Jesus would have never done it. He would have spoken out against it, and he would have made prohibitions against it, and he would warn us about doing it. It's his church. We're New Testament Christians, yet this is what Jesus did, set an example of moderation. Now, in Psalm 104, the psalmist lists wine as one of the many blessings that come to man from God. 
There again, I said, this is, we're going to let the Bible say what it says here, and we're going to get a balance. But in Psalm 104, it says this. He, talking about God, waters the hills from his upper chambers. The earth is satisfied with the fruit of your works. He causes the grass to grow for the cattle and vegetation for the service of man that he may bring forth food from the earth. Listen, verse 15, and wine that makes glad the heart of men oil to make his face shine, and bread to strengthen man's heart. So God gives wine as a gift of a symbol of prosperity, as a symbol of blessing all throughout the Old Testament. Even in the, even, you know, when he talks about the, the fruit of the vine and the, and the wine that comes, it is a symbol of God's blessing and affirmation. Look what he says here, and wine that makes glad the heart of man. The Bible also prescribes the use of wine in a medicinal sense for medicine, uh, for painkiller, for uh, stomach issues. Listen to what Proverbs 31:61 says. Give strong drink to him who is perishing and wine to who is of a bitter spirit or heart. So the wine was used in a medicinal sense as a painkiller. We've got painkillers now that, you, listen, you're better off with wine than Oxycontin, I'm telling you what. They give that stuff out like it's M&M's. But there is a medicinal sense. There are health benefits uh, to moderate consumption. First Timothy 5.23, do not go on drinking water, Paul speaking to Timothy, but use a little wine. Did you hear little? Little? He didn't say drink the whole gallon. He said, use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent ailments. So there's a sense where scripture prescribes the use of wine medicinally. Uh, the last point I want to bring out here about the, what the Bible says about this subject is this. Wine will be part of the feasting that believers enjoy in heaven. Anybody planning on going to heaven? You know there's going to be feasting there. We're going to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And, and listen to a description of how wine will be a part of the celebration in heaven. Jesus said, I will drink no fruit of the vine until what? Until we come to be with him, until he receives the church as his bride. And then at the marriage supper of the lamb, there's going to be a feast. Isaiah 25, 6. Now the Lord of armies will prepare a lavish banquet for all his peoples in this mountain, a banquet of aged wine, choice pieces of marrow, and refined aged wine. There's something in heaven that will be at the feasting tables for the church, for the bride, with Jesus that will be the new wine of heaven. And it is a blessing that will be part of our experience as we are gathered to him for eternity. So the Bible's pretty clear. There's no uh, categorical prohibition. There's no blanket prohibition. Uh, Jesus used wine. The disciples used wine. It's for medicine. It's for uh, medicinal things. It's a sign of God's blessing. It is going to be part of our celebration in heaven. You know, you think all the people that, you know, want to twist the scripture, make it say what it doesn't say. Well, in heaven at the, new, at the feast with the new wine, they're going to have to sit at the kids' table. None for them. So. <laughs> I want you to just think about that. Some, you look so scared out there, I thought it'd make you smile. So there's one side of the coin. Now, so as a Christian, we can use wine in moderation. The Bible, you know, gives us the liberty to do that. And it's not an offense to God. It's not even remotely a sin, or Jesus would have never done it. And it's not automatically ruinous to your soul. But, say, here it comes. 
Here's the other side of the coin. Being drunk at any time for any reason is a condition Scripture clearly warns against, and it puts our soul in eternal jeopardy. Look what it says. Drunkenness here is prohibited. Why? Because those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. We live in a world that celebrates drunkenness and intoxication and revels in that. And understand something today. The Bible is very clear about this. A Christian believer who is born again and filled with the Holy Spirit should never be filled with wine to the point of intoxication. The Bible says be drunk not with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come on. Put your hands together. We're not supposed to be... We're not... supposed to ever cross that line why would we need wine to alter our state of consciousness when you and i have the holy spirit amen when you and i have the holy ghost within us was a tough crowd this morning what are you saying you want your wine instead of the holy ghost no we're above that as christians we're above that as believers and being drunk as with in this situation with Noah, and you see all throughout scripture when people get in this state it leads to all kinds of sin and and debauchery and uh, you know all kinds of issues i mean I, you could preach for months out of scripture about the misuse of alcohol and all the trouble it's caused in fact we're going to look at that in just a minute But understand something that the Bible says here that drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we don't give ourselves over to that and practice that as a lifestyle. I want to say this. Just because we can drink and it is permissible, uh, listen, that doesn't mean we should drink. Well, pastor said we all need to have wine. No. Just because we can doesn't mean we should. And there, that goes back to working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. We're going to unpack some of this, and we're going to get right down to the nitty-gritty here where it comes down to a personal decision that we need to make before the Lord. But you say, well, just because we can doesn't mean we should. Well, how can you say that? 1 Corinthians 6.12, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Did you hear that? More than anything else, alcohol has the ability to bring you under its power. And when you cross the line into drunkenness, what it will bring you into is sin and debauchery and trouble and all kinds of problems. Yeah, I hear this week. 1 Corinthians 10.23, all things are lawful for me. Here we go again. But not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me but not all things edify. See, it might, it might be okay to do, but is it good for me to do it? Does it build me up? That, that's what edify means, to build up, to strengthen. Am I able to use this liberty in moderation to the point where it strengthens my life? Or is it destructive and it brings me under its power and it leads me away from God? This, this is what scripture teaches. This is what we have to uh, untangle here and decide for ourselves. Can we use alcohol and take that liberty and use it in moderation or uh, is that not for us? Well, we have to realize we can't be brought under the power of anything. You and I should be controlled by nothing but the Holy Spirit. Come on. 
So now let's see the other side of the coin and go even further. While the Bible doesn't categorically prohibit the use of alcohol, when it's an appetite out of control, Scripture does certainly repeatedly warn us about the folly of its misuse. There are no less than 75 scriptures that warn against the negative effects of overindulging in wine. The Bible talks about wine and strong drink. It mentions beer. I remember in Bible school, we used to joke around. It says, be not drunk with wine. It doesn't say anything about beer, right? And, that's what, and, and it's not true. It talks about all of that stuff, mixed wine and strong drink and all that. And the scripture is pretty clear. It warns us repeatedly. In fact, if you're taking notes today, write down 75 scriptures that warn against misusing wine. If you write that down, you're always on your phones anyway. Type that into your Google search bar right there. And this will come up and you'll see 75 scriptures that warn you. Listen, I read through them and I want to tell you something. It should give us some pause. How the Bible warns us, hey, you know, yeah, it's a liberty. You, you're, allowed, you're allowed to partake, but listen, it's dangerous. Yeah, yeah. There are certain liberties that God has given us that are dangerous. Yeah, yeah. I think about what God has given us in the, the gift of human sexuality, how within the context of marriage, sexuality is a wonderful thing. It produces children. It bonds a couple together. It's a beautiful, wonderful gift from God. Out of that context, it will destroy your soul, lead you in paths of drivenness and lust, and land you in hell for eternity. Yeah, it's quiet. A generation that fornicates and calls themselves Christians and just crosses that line all the time and thinks that when, when oh, I'm going to heaven when I die. Not according to scripture. Sex is for marriage. And if you want to have sex, get married. If not, you should wait because if you don't, you're playing Russian roulette with your soul. And it's the same thing with the gift of wine. If you can't use it in moderation, well, there's 75 scriptures that warn you of the folly of misusing it. Now, here's a final thought. If you don't have self-control and you can't, you know, there again, for some people, this is a non-issue. They don't have this desire to drink too much. Um, can I be real in church? And they can control themselves. It's not an issue. In my family, there's no alcoholism. My grandfather used to joke, if you hit me with the bar rag, I'll get drunk because he didn't drink. And my, well, my parents, not big drinkers. So understand something like this is, you know, our predispositions kick in here. Our strengths and our weaknesses kick in here. And working out our own salvation kicks in here. Right. But the final thought is this. If you can't use wine in moderation, you should abstain. If your purpose for drinking is to get drunk, you should abstain. Oh, I didn't even like the way this tastes, Pastor Rick. I'm just trying to get it down so I can, you know, alter my conscience. People do that all the time. Abstinence is not a bad word. Abstinence is not a dirty word. If our purpose in drinking is to get drunk, we should abstain. If we have alcoholism in our past... We should abstain. If we have an addictive personality, we should abstain. Now listen, I'll I'll conclude this section on appetites out of control pertaining to drunkenness with this statement. It is far better to make it to the heavenly feast and enjoy the new wine with Jesus than to abuse the old wine and never get there. Because it's that serious. So it's a choice. Don't look down on your brothers and sisters who use in moderation, but at the same time, 
work it out between you and the Lord. And if you have a predisposition to cross that line into drunkenness, you need to abstain. Now, there's another appetite of that's out of control here that's mentioned in the deeds of the flesh. We looked at drunkenness and now carousing. Say carousing. carousing. Not a word that we use very much, but this word, this Greek word uh, translated carousing is translated into a few other words in all the different translations. The King James Version calls it reveling. You know, and that's like, you know, loud, obnoxious, over-the-top celebration and just kind of wild. You know, anybody seen Animal House? All right, reveling. That's what the King James is saying. The new King James gets really graphic and calls it orgies. So there's a sexual uh, component in there where there's misconduct of a sexual nature involved in carousing. So reveling, orgies, the NIV... Uh, wild celebrations and partying. The NASB, which is, you know, one of my favorite translations on par with the King James, is carousing. So we've got reveling, orgies, wild celebrations, party, partying, and carousing. Are you guys getting the picture here? It, it doesn't take, you know, much of an imagination to figure out what the Bible's talking about here. Uh, it is telling us that it's an appetite out of control when we are living what the world calls the party lifestyle. Come on, how many would be bold enough to raise their hand in church and say, I I've come out of the party lifestyle? Amen. Hands going up all over the place. But we were in the world. That's what it was all about. You know, put a suit on, put a tie on, be respectable Monday through Friday. But when the bell rings, woo, here we go. And it's game on, and it's binge drinking, and it's immorality, and it's hopping from bed to bed, and it's all the things described here in these words. Now, the Greek word that's translated reveling, orgies, wild celebrations, parties, and carousing is the Greek word komos. And komos means this, listen, letting loose, going wild, engaging in revelry with an element of substance abuse and sexual immorality. So always in, always in Comos, you're going to see this element of sexual immorality, of pharmakia, which is self-medication, that we would use drugs, we would use alcohol to alter our state of consciousness. And then in that context, it would be a wild, out-of-control parties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And some of us look so scared today. <laughs> because we know we've come out of that lifestyle, we know the, the destructiveness of it. Yeah. And yet here's the scripture saying it's an appetite out of control and it's one that is ruinous to our souls. Uh, all of us have experienced the party lifestyle and you say, Pastor, how can you say that? Because it's, it's all over our culture. You know, I remember as a young person in high school, you know, my parents didn't, I got saved when I was 14. My parents didn't let me go to a lot of places, but I remember going to a party or going to prom or something and seeing what happens at these house parties after, you know, and everything that I just described here is exactly what goes on. The abuse of drugs, the drunkenness, yeah. the out of control yeah. reveling, people pairing off as couples and going in different rooms and yeah. different areas of the house and doing things that they shouldn't be doing. Come on this morning. Comos, that's what the Bible's describing. And we, we all know about it because it's a part of our culture. It doesn't take a Bible scholar to figure out what God is talking about here. The world likes to party. To the world, it's all about the party. Lottie Dottie, I like to party, right? 
But the party's going to stop someday. Listen to this preacher. It's fun, it's exciting, it's titillating, but the party is going to stop someday. And then there's going to be hell to pay. You and I are not to be part of the party style, party lifestyle culture. It's something we've all seen in clubs and in music venues and in house parties. And categorically, we should reject it and stay away from it because it's not for us. Now, komos is also used not just here in Galatians in our text, but also in 1 Peter 4.3. And Peter brings out an interesting point here in addition to what we just covered. Listen to 1 Peter 4.3. For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of indecent behavior, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and wanton idolatries. So what's Peter saying? For the time already has passed. He's saying, you did this before you came to Jesus. And you gave yourself over to it. And I hope you got it out of your system for the time has passed. And that's no more because that's not something we should practice anymore. (coughs) The world is very confused about a person who says they're a Christian, but they partake in the party lifestyle and they give themselves over to drunkenness and they use drugs and they get high and they're having sex out of marriage. And, oh, I'm a Christian. And then we we grab our Bible and go to church on Sunday. No, that's confusing to the world. Because Peter's saying here, we should have got all of that out of our system when we were lost. But now that we belong to Christ, we need to let that go and come out from that lifestyle, amen? This verse makes that point. The party lifestyle is inextricably linked to the way the lost live. He's saying this is the way the Gentiles roll. This is what the Gentiles do. You're my people. Come out from the world and be separate, says the Lord. So this party lifestyle, this comos reveling here, it's inextricably linked to the way the world lives. It is a sin of idolatry that is linked to paganism. And the point is that it should be part of our past, but not part of our present. Have you gotten it out of your system? For you carried out the desires of the Gentiles, he said. Now listen, returning to the sinful patterns of our past. Well, I got saved. I've been in church. I got cleaned up. I stopped a few things. But, you know, I, I still like to party. And I still like to go to the club. And I still like to go to the den of iniquity. And I still like the house party. You should see your faces this morning. Some people say, well, don't their faces scare you? No, it just encourages me. Because, you know what? We, we are called to come out of these things, and, and because we're Christians now, we live a different way. So if we go back to that lifestyle and give ourselves over to it, and we feel comfortable there, it's a good indication that we're backslidden, that we need to repent and, and do our first works over again and come back to the Lord. We might need to get baptized again. We might need to answer an altar call again. We might need to raise our hands and say, I want Jesus to be the Lord of my life. Why? Because when we go backwards into what we were delivered from, listen, not only does the enemy release sevenfold the amount of demonic things to snare us and draw us back in, but we've got to make a clean break from that once again. 
So back, backsliding is attached to the person who says, well, I'm a Christian, but I do all these things. And the, the scripture is saying, no, these things are inconsistent with Christianity. It, it, it makes the authenticity of our, core, our conversion come into question. Am I really saved? Young people, I want to speak to you today. The world we live in, the music it makes, the icons that represent it to you are selling you a form of bondage that is very seductive. See, it looks like, oh, it's so much fun out there. Oh, I'm missing out if I don't. Maybe I could just dip my toe in. Maybe I could just, you know, get close to the edge. It is very seductive, and the enemy will suck you in and put a hook in you and use all kinds of immorality and addiction to to chain you up and to keep you in bondage. But the reason I mention this is because, listen, when something's seductive, we have to be very careful But because we are flesh and we're easily drawn into these things. And once you get hooked in and once it becomes a, a lifestyle, a part of your routine, it's very, very, very difficult to get out. You might need new friends. You might need to develop new patterns. You might need to get with someone who's strong in the Lord and be uh, transparent before them and say, you know, I- I'm, I'm, I'm hooked, I'm snared, I'm addicted. I, I have appetites that I've cultivated, that I, I patterns and habits I can't break now. This carousing, this comos, this revelry, it is very addictive. And listen, we don't just naturally outgrow it as we get older. You think, well, you know, it's just a young thing, and I'll get over it, and I got to do, you know, I got to live a little crazy. I got to go a little wild, but then I'll grow up, and I'll straighten out. Do you think just because you have more birthdays, the devil's going to let go of them hooks that he put in you? No, he wants to keep you snared and addicted and in bondage till the day you die. He wants to destroy your soul and destroy your testimony and rob the potential that God has put in your life. This lifestyle robs the potential of our young people. This lifestyle wastes the most precious gift that all of us have, time. Time is running out. Youth passes quickly. Be very careful. The people in this lifestyle, the people in the world, are selling you a form of bondage that's powerfully seductive. It's easy to get caught up in, and it's very hard to quit. Now, I want to finish up this topic on appetites out of control by talking about the fact that Christians are allowed to have parties. Oh, Pastor, I went to a party, you know, and then a Bible study broke out. Well, maybe not. But (laughs) you think, well, man, we can't have fun and we can't have a party and we can't, you know, we got to be careful how much we eat and how much we drink, man. This is like, you know, we're allowed to have fun. You don't look like you're buying what I'm selling now. Like He's trying to trick us. No, we're allowed to enjoy one another and celebrate, amen? We're allowed to get together and and laugh together, amen? Amen. Some people have passed out. They're not even hearing this part, but... We can fellowship with one another. We can enjoy food and drink together in a wholesome way. But listen to me. Events centered around gluttony and excessive drinkingness and lewdness and promiscuity and these wild, out-of-control behaviors, they are not for those who belong to Jesus. You and I need to learn to get together and have fun together. 
They say, Pastor Rick, where did you have the most fun in your life? At Bible school. Pastor Mike, we laughed more. We, we had more jokes, more fun, more, I mean, for a lifetime's worth. Did you drink? Nope. Did you use drugs? Nope. Did you run around and do? Nope. You know what I'm talking about. Nope. Young people, how'd you have fun? Because behold how good and how pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. When the Jesus in you connects with the Jesus in me and we just enjoy being brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm telling you what, there's no high like the most high. You're not missing out on any fun. You, you be right with God and serve God and love the body of Christ. Man, I'm telling you what, you, you will enjoy your life. And at the end of it, you'll be with Jesus. And, and then, you know what? While the world is paying for the party that they enjoyed for eternity, we're going to be partying with Jesus in heaven forever and ever and ever. Amen. So Christians, you're allowed to party, but not like the world parties. We have a different way because we're a, we're a different people. We are called to come out and be separate, but at the same time to enjoy the blessings of God. So alcohol can be used in moderation. Drunkenness is never tolerated. If you can't use moderation, you should abstain. Carousing is not part of the Christian lifestyle. The party's over. Now we belong to Jesus, amen? We've got work to do, people to reach, and things to do for the kingdom of God, amen? We work now, but we'll party for eternity. Let's bow our heads. Father, I just thank you, Lord God, for... This scripture for this text, I pray, Lord, even though some of this is hard to hear for us and we want to let loose and we want to be out of control and we want to let our flesh do what it wants to do. Father, the, the, the destruction that that brings to our souls and the eternal jeopardy that it puts us in is not worth it. Jesus said, what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Oh, I want to I have fun and I want to be at the party and I want to just let loose. God, deliver us from the appetites of the flesh that are so destructive to us. I pray for all of my brothers and sisters today, whether they're struggling with alcohol or with drugs or with uh, this lifestyle of revelry, Lord God. Deliver your people today. Work in our hearts. Purify us so that we would not be in eternal jeopardy, but we'd be safe in your hands. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Give him